This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. This morning is the last week in our sermon series on the resurrection. It's a, been an incredible journey, uh, reading through the entire context of that, that story that led us to the cross at Easter and now uh, continues on after. Last week we talked about the appearances of Jesus to the disciples and others around. Today we're going to be talking about the ascension of Jesus and the last words that he spoke to his disciples before going on into heaven. Through our series, we've been tracking some themes through the story. And one of those themes, the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, seemed to have ended at the cross when they imagined their victory, removing the distraction of Jesus from what they were teaching the people. And yet, it wasn't quite over. And part of uh, the gospel we, we read about uh, their response to the empty tomb of spreading rumors that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus and perpetuating that rumor. Another of the themes that we've been studying uh, is the identity of Jesus. The, the, the idea that he is God in the flesh, the Son of God, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, and how that identity has been written, proclaimed, challenged, and verified through the story. We've been studying the interaction between Jesus and the disciples and, and all of the, the difficulty and drama that, that played out through this story and how it continues even in this last bit of Jesus and his presence physically here on earth. We're going to begin reading today Matthew chapter 28 in verse 16. If you, Bible, if you have a Bible and you want to open there and read along with me, please do so. The words will be on the screen. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes in the YouVersion app as well. Let's begin reading together. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now the first thing we notice about the disciples in this passage is they were obedient to Jesus. He told them to go to this mountain in Galilee, and they went. And as we talked about last week, there, there is significance in obedience to Jesus. We talked last week about uh, Jesus approaching the disciples who were fishing in a boat, who had been fishing all night and not caught anything. He called out to them, brothers, have you, have you caught any fish? And he encouraged them to, to throw their net on the other side of the boat. And they were obedient and they did what he said. And there was this miraculous catch of fish. The response to their obedience was to recognize this what Jesus was doing in their lives and through their lives. Again, they're obedient to Jesus. They go where he told them to go. And they see and hear, they experience Jesus because of their obedience. And they respond to the presence of Jesus. Matthew tells us some worshipped, but others were doubtful. Now these words would encourage us in our weakest moments, seeing the disciples, the men who were, were closest to Jesus with doubt. It, it reassures us in, in those difficult 
moments, our weakest moments, knowing that the disciples struggled with doubt. And we read about this, this mixed response to Jesus at this point in the story, and it's a bit confusing to hear that some of the disciples here before Jesus and the Great Commission before he rose into heaven, that we, with doubt about who he is, and, and we, we think as we've been walking through the story, why would they still doubt Jesus? He appeared among them in the room with locked doors. They saw him with his wounds in his hands and in his side. Thomas wasn't with them, and he refused to believe the other disciples. He doubted specifically. I'll, I won't believe until I can see, until I can put my hands where those wounds are, put my hand in his side. And Jesus appeared again to the disciples with Thomas present, and Thomas finally believed. Jesus said, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And we hear about those moments, and we think, well, if, they, if they're now seeing Jesus after that moment, why would they still doubt? They know it's him. They, they believe that it's him. And yet, in terms of the grammar, it could be the response to what they should do in the presence of Jesus. Some, some worship, some doubted what they should do next. Should they bow down and worship? Should they not? More specifically, we think in terms of the greater story in the book of Matthew, and before this event, the last thing Matthew told us about was Jesus appearing to the women who were leaving the tomb. Matthew didn't record the appearance of Jesus among the disciples and the doubt of Thomas. The next time Matthew tells us about Jesus among the disciples is here on the mountain in Galilee. And so more likely, Matthew is giving us an overview of that experience the disciples had. They worshiped some doubted, but without specific, more specific details in his writing, we're left to wonder about officially what those words fully mean. Jesus spoke to the disciples, reassuring them with his authority, all authority in heaven and on earth that had been given to him. He commissioned his disciples to make disciples. He gave them these instructions, two very specific things. Go and make disciples. Go from here, move away from here, make disciples. The people that you meet, make disciples. How should they make disciples of all nations. Well, he gave them two very specific means of making disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now, last week we talked a little bit about parallels that, that we saw from the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he called his disciples and the conclusion of his ministry and we talked about that moment when Jesus stepped up to the edge of the water with the disciples in the boat and called to them for that miraculous catch of fish. How reminiscent it was of the moment when he called them to, to follow him as, as his disciples. Some of them were, were fishing at the time. And when he called them to follow him, they left their nets and, and went. And it's incredible to see the, those parallel, those bookends that, that are very similar. As we were studying these passages this week, Mike reminded me of those, those parallels, those bookends. As Jesus called his disciples at the beginning of his ministry, what, what did he invite them to become? He said, I will make you fishers of men. And through the Gospels, we read about the disciples walking with Jesus, traveling with him, watching as he performed miracles, being present as he cared for people, helping, assisting, working with him. And, and yet we're left to wonder, when, when do they become these fishers of men? Now, Jesus is commissioning them to go and make disciples of all nations, to throw the, the lure out, to draw people to the Lord, and bring them to come to know him as their Lord and Savior. And we see those same bookends present 
parallels that remind us of Jesus calling his disciples to be fishers of men and now giving them specific instructions about how to become what he's called them to become. He called on his disciples to engage others in becoming disciples. And we see the, the full measure of what this means. The process that begins with talking to people about the, the, the truth of the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, God in the flesh, who sacrificed himself to bring about forgiveness, that we would help people understand their need for a Savior, their need for forgiveness, and come to accept Christ as Lord, be baptized in his name. And that process wouldn't end there, but would continue. It's teaching, mentoring, guidance takes place as we walk next to people demonstrating what a life of obedience looks like, what a life of faithfulness looks like, what a life of, of, of growing toward maturity in Christ looks like, that we would lead people into discipleship. Now, usually when we think about evangelism, when we think about this, this process, we, we focus on that, that first aspect, that conversion, that recognition of a need for Jesus as Savior and accepting him as Lord and Savior and being baptized in his name. A relative of mine was uh, newly attending a church, and the minister spent significant time as, as a new attender uh, talking and, and teaching and mentoring. They met weekly and, and read through scriptures, uh, bringing him to a place where he acknowledged his need for Jesus and was baptized in his name. And then after that morning, after having been immersed into Christ, wondered what he should do next. And all the teaching and support that he had leading him up to that moment of salvation then was gone. That presence in his life that, that had been so instrumental in helping him come to know his need for Jesus as Lord and Savior was, was no longer teaching and guiding and helping him grow. As a, as a new Christian, he was, he was left to, to wonder and be confused. It's important for us to recognize the, the specific order of instruction Jesus provided to the disciples when he commissioned them to go into all the world and make disciples. He, he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. There's a, there's a significant process of growth that takes place in our lives as we learn what obedience looks like, as we learn what maturity in Christ looks like, as we, we allow him to form our lives and shape us to become more and more like him. That's the process that, that we are called to engage in. The instructions that Jesus calls us to reminds us that our goal is discipleship. To engage a person in this journey, in this walk, in this growth. To follow through on everything that Jesus commanded. And there's such a significant emphasis on this teaching that takes place of accurate, complete teaching that helps new believers learn what this measure of obedience looks like, to learn what the, the reward of obedience, in much the same way the disciples discovered what Jesus was doing in their lives and doing through their lives as they were obedient. We see that same response as we step forward in faithfulness. We, we discover what God is doing, and we discover where God is leading. And it's an incredible opportunity for us to recognize his hand at work. Making disciples reminds us of the significance of, of helping new believers grow in their understanding of how to follow Jesus, to submit to his lordship, to take on the mission of, of serving in his kingdom in the church and in the community, 
to care for people and, and to become disciplers themselves as they grow in maturity, to, to engage others in, in an understanding of their need for Jesus as Lord. It's a matter of information and action paired together. as we discover what it is to live in obedience to the Word of God. And that's what Jesus called his disciples to do. He didn't, he didn't call them to remain his disciples, to simply be devoted to him with their own lives. There's more to the, to the story. They were commissioned to engage other people in the multiplication of a vibrant, authentic faith. It's a calling that we share to choose to connect our lives to others as we grow together in this journey of discipleship. And Jesus reassured his disciples with the promise of his continued presence. In every moment that they would feel insecure, that they could remember he was with them. And the, in the moments when they felt unprepared, not sure what to say, not sure how to step into that moment and engage someone, that he, he would be with them and carry them through. When they, when they were painfully aware of their own weaknesses, of their own faults and failures, that he would be with them to guide them and provide them with confidence and encouragement by his presence. And we're encouraged by those same words today. As we look at this, these last words of Jesus from different perspectives, we turn to Luke chapter 24 and read more about what he said. A story that, that he provides information at the end of his gospel, but then as Luke started writing the book of Acts, then gives a summary of the events that unfolded. So let's begin in Luke chapter 24 and then we'll turn to Acts chapter 1. For more information, this is verse 50 in the book of Luke, chapter 24. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple praising God. We notice the, the change that's taken place in the disciples. When the last time they said goodbye to Jesus, he was taken from them in Gethsemane and led toward his trial and crucifixion, they were filled with sorrow. They were filled with fear. They were mourning his loss. And now, as they are prepared to say goodbye to Jesus again, they're filled with joy. They, they are remaining at the temple to praise God, aware that Jesus is alive and active. An incredible turn in their lives and perspective on who Jesus is and what he's doing. Now we turn to the book of Acts to read more about this process. In chapter 1, verse 1, it begins like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me ask me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking up intently, 
up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now here, Luke provides the details as the disciples were given power, responsibility, and a view of the ascension. The power would come from the Holy Spirit. The responsibility that Jesus gave them was to become witnesses of the truth about Jesus that they had personally experienced. Jesus instructed his disciples to become his witnesses, to carry this message to an expanding audience. And think about how that nature of those instructions. He told them to begin by being witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in the, in the city where they were, all the people who were present there, and then to be his witnesses in Judea, the surrounding region around Jerusalem, and then to cross over borders into Samaria. And the Samaritans were despised by the Jews, rivals, hated. And the instructions Jesus gave his disciples was to go among the people that they did not want to be around and carry with them this message of truth, witnessing of their experience that there were no people on earth that they could consider unworthy of the truth about Jesus Christ. And then to continue being witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now these particular disciples would have been able to relate these stories in a way that nobody else could. They were eyewitnesses. They, they, could, see, they could talk about how they had seen with their own eyes the things that Jesus did. The, the miracles that he performed. The way that he was taken captive and crucified. The empty tomb, the, 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 the miracle of his appearance after the resurrection. They could, they could tell people what they had seen for themselves. They could talk about what they had heard. The words that Jesus said to them. The words that Jesus spoke to others as he cared for them. The kindness in his voice. The, the sound of the miracles taking place. They could talk about all these things. These details that no one else would have known. They could talk about their personal experiences. How they felt when they saw these things happen. How they felt when they... When, they were close to Jesus, what, what he had done for them in their own lives and continued to tell others about their personal responses as they were talking about the truth of God's word. This is what makes God's word relatable. This is what makes the truth about Jesus understandable to the world around us when we're able to, to punctuate the truth of scripture with real stories about how he's made a difference in our lives to talk about the, the significant change that's taken place in us, about the person that we once were and the person that he's allowed us to become. These are the stories that make this message of truth appealing, understandable, and applicable in the lives of others as we, we can help them understand how God can work in their lives in the very same way that he has worked in our lives. These real stories, these eyewitness responses, are so meaningful and effective and important. That's what Jesus called his disciples to do. And after hearing these words from Jesus, the disciples saw Jesus being taken up into heaven. They watched as he just rose up and was hidden by a cloud. And as they're watching, two angels stood next to them. Men of Galilee, they said. Close your mouths. This Jesus... He isn't where you think he is. He's, he's not going to be where you're looking. He's gone up into heaven. He's returned in the same way that he left. Now think about this moment. There's two angels standing next to the, the disciples who are looking for Jesus where they expect him to be, and he's not there. 
Do you remember when Mary was, was weeping outside of the tomb and she looked into the tomb? What did she see? Two angels sitting on the slab where Jesus was, the head and the foot. And the angels said to her, he isn't here. Jesus isn't where you're, you are looking, where you expect to see him. He's somewhere else. Now there's two angels standing next to the disciples. I want to know if these are the same angels. They sound like the same angels. They have the same sense of humor that the other angels did. He's not here. They have the same guidance. While you're expecting to see Jesus in this way, he is going to defy your expectation. This is an incredible moment. And I don't, we don't have that information in Scripture, but I would love to know if these are the same angels. Our story continues in Mark's Gospel. This will be the last passage that we read. John doesn't cover the ascension of Jesus in his gospel. And so we'll, we'll conclude with these words from Mark in chapter 16, beginning of verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now, the, the power of the Holy Spirit confirmed the truth of the message. It's important for us to understand that. That's a part of this passage, that these verses provide us the, this verification of truth. And if we, if we read them correctly, they're, they're very much a summary of what's going to take place in the rest of the book of Acts. That the, the disciples who became apostles are there at Pentecost, and they're speaking in other languages. Demons will be driven out. Paul, when he lands on the islands, will be bitten by a poisonous snake and survive. People will be healed. What we don't see happen is the only thing listed here is this drinking of deadly poison. The only place we read about deadly poison in the rest of the New Testament is the book of James. He talks about the damage that can be done with our words. He says the tongue is like a deadly poison in your mouth. And we're, we're drawn to wonder about these miraculous things that took place in those who believed that the apostles were capable of doing these things that, that validated the message. And we wonder about those things. We wonder about how they took place. We wonder about, about why God worked in those miraculous ways then, and whether or not he will do those things now. And we're, we're, we're amazed to hear the, the unfolding of these events that, that validated the truth of the message about Jesus. It's true throughout the, the Gospels we read about Jesus' ministry as he, as he identified himself, as he began to preach a, about who he was, that, that there were miracles that, that confirmed his identity. And now as the disciples are sent out to establish the church and become apostles, that their ministry is punctuated by these, these moments of power that validate and confirm the, the truth of the message. And while we want to focus on that power, our real focus is the message. That Jesus entrusted his disciples, the preaching of this good news, this incredible gift that was given to him, to preach the good news so that, that people would be, believe in Jesus. Those who believed him were baptized would be saved, and those who did not believe would be condemned. 
And as they believed, they would bear evidence of what they believed was true, and the Holy Spirit would provide power as proof. Power as proof of what they believed being true, and that all the people around them could see the evidence. And as Jesus' work was completed and he ascended into heaven, we see this, this transition taking place of, of beginnings that come from ends. And Jesus ascended into heaven and left his disciples to proclaim this good news. These men who were so flawed. I mean, we, we think back through the events that have taken place, even in the sermon series, and we've seen Judas betray Jesus. He's no longer part of the picture. Peter, who denied knowing Christ. The, the, the fear that overtook them. The crucifixion. And they went into hiding behind locked doors. Their, their, their unbelief, their doubting of Jesus. These, these men who, who had such difficulty even though they were, they were so close to Jesus. And yet Jesus trusted them to carry the message of truth, to preach the gospel. He trusted them to fulfill this mission. He gave them responsibility, and he depended on them to carry it out. And that's the same way that he works today. And that's an intimidating thing to think about, that, that Jesus would entrust us with, with such a huge responsibility of carrying the truth, the gospel truth, of, of his identity into the world, of bearing witness of the value of knowing Christ and accepting him as Lord and Savior, be baptized in his name, and, and the change that he brings about in us, that, that we have been given this responsibility, that, that the Lord has allowed us to carry this message, and he's depending on us, that, that as we go, as we encounter people, that we would, that we would be his messengers, that we, would, that we would bear this message, and we would deliver it into the lives of people. Such a valuable thing that we would, that we would be entrusted with, a message that doesn't just bring about a better way of life. It isn't just bringing about a resolution to wrong. This is, this is a message of eternal significance. This is the most important thing that we could ever share with anyone. And God trusts us to do it. I think about that trust. And I'm painfully aware of my own weakness. I'm painfully aware of my own faults and failures. Maybe you're like me and you're your own worst critic. You, you know how difficult it is for you to walk in faithfulness and obedience and to be an authentic reflection of what this truth means, to, to witness authentically in the lives of people about your own experience in the Lord. But that's what Jesus has trusted us to do, to bear witness and to proclaim his truth. And we recognize that not only has he trusted us with this gospel message, he's, he's entrusting us with opportunities every day. He's bringing people into our lives and giving us opportunities to, to love them and care for them as we're talking to them about their need for Jesus, to help them see how much they need a Savior, to, to teach them about what it means to surrender their lives, to be baptized in his name, and then to continue living alongside them to help them understand what, what faithfulness and obedience look like in their lives, to, to bring about the, the completion of that change as they grow in discipleship and maturity in Christ, that we would commit to this incredible responsibility that he has given to us. A responsibility that is reinforced by his presence. That every time we feel unprepared, we know that he's with us. Every time that we feel 
unworthy. He reminds us that he is with us to the very end of the age, that he will continue to lead us and encourage us and empower us and strengthen us to bear this message of truth.